Be bold enough to not be embarrassed and raise your hand about something. <laughs> yes, I love it. The two Huey brothers both raised their hands. I love it. That blood runs thick. So, uh, and I noticed neither of their wives did, though. That was kind of... So, uh, how many of you at any point in your life, at any point in your life, you would raise your hand and say, you know what, there was one time in my life, at least once, that I stole something. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm just waiting a minute because some of you are going back through your, your, your catalog trying to be like, did I, did I? So uh, I want to say I, didn't, I don't raise my hand because I have never, I've never intentionally stole something. <laughs> I, know there's, I know there's a key word there that you all caught. So, uh, so we were driving. Oh, that looks a little cut off my... But we were driving, and uh, I, had, I was coming back from Bible college... California, driving California to Wisconsin at that point. And uh, my, my neighbor, who was a great friend of mine, um, I flew him out to California to, to drive back with me. My parents were nervous about me driving 30 hours by myself, three 10-hour days. Um, and so he, he flew out, and then he drove, and we just drove together. Well, as we were heading into Nebraska, uh, it was a torrential downpour. And there were tornado warnings all in the area. And yes, back then I still had a MapQuest printed off directions. And I still had one of those maps that Rich folded really well um, in, the, in my back seat. And so Matt was driving at that point and I pulled out this map and opened it up because I don't know where I'm at. And they said, burp, burp, tornado warning, be alert in this city. So I'm like, where's that city at, you know? We're driving through cornfields. And so I look on the map, and I find, oh, there's that city. Well, where are we right now? And, I, and then here's the mile marker and the next exit. And so I was like, on the map, we were like that close to that city. <laughs> Which on a map, that's, that could be kind of far, but it's pretty close, too. <laughs> and I'm sitting there like, what? What? And I looked out, and it was not like, I'm not being melodramatic, it was not on top of my car, but way across the cornfield, I'm like, dude, Matt. And I looked way out there, and there's literally a tornado touching down in a field, like way out. It wasn't super close, but I could see it. And my car needs gas. It's on E. The light comes on. So we pull off, and I had been living in California, which at this point... Everything is in California's prepaid. Well, that sounds normal now, but back then it wasn't normal. You could get gas and go in and pay. But California, everything was prepaid, pay at the pump. There was no other option. Well, we stopped in the middle of Nowheresville, Nebraska, and I'm in the passenger seat, remember? And Matt's like, well, you can drive now. So I had to go to the bathroom so bad, and Matt pumped the gas. I ran into the bathroom. Ran back out, Matt's in the passenger seat, and I jumped in the driver's seat, and we drove off. You know where this is going. I thought there was pay at the pump like everything else. Well, 
there wasn't pay at the pump. It was only, ca- uh, only you had to pay in the store. Well, I, I was not about to stop and pay. I had to go to the bathroom. So we're driving. All of a sudden, the lights come on behind me. And I'm like, man, I was only going five over the speed limit. Like, this, they're really strict here in Nebraska. I pull over. And, and I'm like, I hope the tornado don't catch up to us. But we had kind of gotten out of it now, so it slowed down. Officer comes up. First question. I look at him, and he goes, were you planning on paying for that gas you stole back there? I looked at Matt. Matt looked at me because he thought I paid when I went in. <laughs> and I thought he paid outside. I was like, oh, my goodness. Officer, I am so sorry. He goes, well, I'm going to have to go back to my car because I get it. He wasn't very nice to me, but he probably deals with a lot of shady characters. And in this moment, he thinks I'm a shady character. <laughs> and so uh, he says, well, I got to go back and call and see if they're going to press charges on you. And I'm like, okay, well, I, I just act, I'll go back. So then he goes, stays for a while, comes back, gives me a ticket for going five miles over the speed limit. <laughs> I'm like, okay. And then he says, they said they'll let you come back and pay, but no funny business. You go, I was like, sir, I'm going to pull off, and I'll go right back and pay. And so he went and waited in the median to see if I would, and sure enough, I drove back, came back, went to the gas station. I said, listen, I'm so sorry. She said, oh, it happens all the time. I said, well, the officer said you were thinking about pressing charges. She's like, what? I was not. So anyway, maybe he was lying, but I went in, and I paid for my gas, but I stole something. And the officer actually said, come with me to my car. I missed that important detail. So I went to the car and I went to, and I went to get in the back seat. And he goes, what are you doing? Get in the front seat. I was like, I don't have experience in this. And I thought that when you go to the police officer's car, you certainly don't help yourself to the front seat. Like I got shotgun. So I'm like, I'm, I'm like, I'm like 24 years old here, and I've never had interactions like this with an officer. He's like, get in the front seat. I'm like, okay. So, like, I'm partially nervous, but I'm partially like, this is cool, you know, like looking around and everything. Big shotgun's there. I'm like, man. And he goes, and then he lets me go. So I stole gas in Nebraska during a tornado and got pulled over for it, sat in the front seat of a police officer's car. It was an exhilarating day. Stealing comes in many forms, many forms. You see, it's not just stealing a car or stealing candy from a store as a child or stealing gas. There are many forms of stealing, and the Eighth Commandment tells us plainly. It says, you must not steal. That's it. It does not say... Well, if they have more than you, or if it's the government, like it does, it just says, you must not steal. And so, one author put it this way, when a man steals, he pays the high price of his integrity in order to have possessions. When someone steals something from someone else, they gain someone else's money or their whatever that thing is. But the own cost, there's a cost that that's their morality. And morality is far more valuable than money. The children of Israel were a group of had-been slaves. 
Men who were not skilled at swinging a sword or going to battle. And scripture records that they were delivered from Egypt on their road to the, past, to the promised land. God gave them an incredible victory, really, one after another. But then, of course, the big one, which I touched on this past Sunday. And, and they walk up to the walls of Jericho, this impenetrable city with fortified huge walls. And no one had dared to go against them. They were surrounded by a four-story, massively high, thick, concrete, similar type wall. Okay? But... God was on Israel's side, and he gave them a rule to follow, though. He wasn't just on their side. His rule was very clear before going into battle. When the walls fall down and you march in, do not take anything. Okay? Just fight, win, and get out. Clear battle plan. Before the walls fall, they also needed to walk around the walls in silence, which you're like, not a problem. Yes, if you're an introvert. If you're an extrovert, that in itself is a battle before the battle. Like, you want me to march seven days, seven times, and I can't talk to anybody? I'm out. I'm going to make us lose. And so they were supposed to, you know, think about that. That's hard to do. But after the walls fall, they're supposed to deny themselves the loot and all the prized possessions laying around. And now hear me, God's plan, God's got a plan for every one of our lives. And his plan almost always involves humanity denying flesh as they walk toward their place of promise. This is not because God really enjoys making you miserable. It's because he has something better for you. So a lot of times what God will do is he will see if you are going to align with his plan and trust him rather than feeding your flesh. And oftentimes in humanity we fail because our flesh likes to be fed in fasting, in finances, and service, and all of these things. You, you look at all this, and our flesh is always wanting more of everything. And so if you just give your flesh everything it wants, you end up breaking all these commandments, and you end up in adultery, and you end up stealing, and you end up... Because the flesh is always going to want to be fed more. And so God tells the Israelites, I'm going to give you victory, but no treasure, no plunder. And he expected them to obey this command. And so there's this man. His name is Achan. And Achan has an idea. He says, I got a better idea. While his buddies were high five and walls fall down, they're walking in, conquering the rest of the city, rubbles on the ground. Achan finds himself a ring from Tiffany's, an Armani suit, a custom-made shotgun, and some cold hard cash. Maybe not that exactly, but you get the point. It's the mother load. Achan thought, well, they're not going to miss this. It's laying in the rubble. We're going to burn this city down. Why are we going to burn down good stuff that could be used to further the kingdom of God? You ever hear a gossip say, I'm just telling you this so you can help me pray. Like, we can justify whatever we want. So, just like Adam and Eve, Achan, just like Adam and Eve, catch that, Achan helped himself 
to something that God said was not his. Adam and Eve, that's that, that one, you don't eat from it. Yeah, but I want that one. Achan, victory's yours, just don't take the plunder, don't take the loot. Yeah, but I want the loot. You're going to want sin throughout your life. Okay, let's just be honest. But sin is a heart issue. Our heart can easily convince us. You deserve this. It's really not that big of a deal. No one is ever going to know. Nobody but God saw Achan steal the clothes, the silver, the gold, or like we talked about last week, no one might ever know if you're texting someone that's married, if you're sleeping with somebody. You, you might not, oh, nobody ever saw that. Nobody knows. God sees all, and God keeps great records. Israel's next battle after Jericho was a simple one. They, Jericho, that's where it was at. Everything is downhill from there. Their next battle, you could have sent in, sent in the rookies. You could have sent in the, 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 the warriors in training, okay? They could have won the next battle. It was a simple battle. Didn't even need to send the whole army. Jericho was the toughest one. But the next battle, they go in and they get absolutely obliterated. They lost the battle. Joshua and the rest of Israel, they're totally confounded. What? is going on. How do we beat Jericho, but then we lose to this side? Like, what is happening here? And so, Joshua asks God, what is up? And God says, there is sin in the camp. Don't want to hear that. Joshua 7 records it. So approximately 3,000 warriors were sent, but they were soundly defeated, the men of Ai. Chased the Israelites from the town gate as far as the quarries, and they killed about 36 who were retreating down the slope. The Israelites were paralyzed with fear at this turn of events, and their courage melted away. Sin melts courage away, and sin causes destruction in areas where there should not be destruction. Joshua and the elders of Israel tore their clothing in dismay, threw dust on their heads, and bowed their face to the ground and before the ark of the Lord until evening. Then Joshua cries, O sovereign Lord, why did you bring us across the Jordan River if you're going to let the Amorites kill us? If only we had been content to stay on the others. Every time, God's people. Could you imagine having God's patience? Every time they hit a problem, they want to go backward. And... Lord, what can I say now that Israel has fled from its enemies? For when the Canaanites and all the other people in the living in the land are going to hear about this, they will surround us and wipe our name off the face of the earth. We get melodramatic when things don't go well, don't we? Like one battle, 36 men, that's important. But he's like, we should have never came out here. We're going to be destroyed. We're going to lose to everybody. Kind of like when somebody has a bad day. I don't know what I'm doing. This God doesn't hear me. But and somebody just used to say, take a deep breath. Just take a nice deep breath. It's going to be all right. Okay. And he says, and what will happen in the honor of your great name? But the Lord said to Joshua, get up. I love that. I love the way God talks to us sometimes. He's just whining. And, and, and notice God is letting him go on and on until he says, and what's going to happen to your name? God's like, hold it. I'm good. Get up. 
My name's fine. So why are you lying on your face like this? Israel has sinned and broken my covenant. They, gave st- they, they have stolen some of the things I commanded must be set apart for me. Remember that. Stolen some of the things that have been set apart for me. And they have not only stolen, but they've lied about it and hidden the things among their own belongings. God is never cool with his people stealing something he says is his. And that's why tithing means so much to him. It's not the fact he need, he didn't need that silver and gold. It's the fact that he blesses his people, but they don't trust him enough, and instead they consume everything. Here God says it's not just about the act itself, but the fact they lied and hid it. Cain tried to hide it, didn't work out well. Adam and Eve tried to hide it, didn't work out well. You're going to see next week, Ananias and Sapphira tried to hide it, didn't work out well. Here, Achan's trying to hide it. Don't hide things from God. And so, in the new, and, and we're going to look at their story with Ananias and Sapphira, like I say, next week. But look what God continues now to say to Joshua, verse 12. That is why the Israelites are running from their enemies in defeat. For now Israel itself has been set apart for destruction. I will not remain with you any longer unless you destroy the things among you that were set apart for destruction. Get up. (laughs) There it is again. There's a time to weep before the Lord. And then there's a time to get back up. Command the people to purify themselves in preparation for tomorrow. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Hidden among you, O Israel, are the things set apart for the Lord. You will never defeat your enemies until you remove these things from you. God will forgive you. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. God will forgive, and I'm thankful for his grace. But if I stole something from the store, and I said, God, please forgive me, if I'm going to really change, I need to take that back to the store. If someone's committing adultery, I'm sorry, God, but don't keep committing adultery. I mean, like at some point, our actions have to change to break free from what we're doing that's catching us into this spider web. And so there is certain victory, God tells them, you will never experience until you remove the sin from your life. God will forgive you, but there are certain things in our lives that if we don't take them out, we will never experience the fullness of what God has for us. We'll be content to just live in the land instead of live in the promise. And so, look what Joshua or look what God does in the instruction he gives Joshua. In the morning you must present yourselves by tribes that the Lord will point out the tribe to which the guilty man belongs. That tribe must come forward with its clans and the Lord will point out the guilty clan. That clan will then come forward and the Lord will point out the guilty family. Finally, each member of the guilty family must come forward one by one. That does not sound like a process I want to be a part of. Makes me wonder, okay, like, did they know this was coming? Because wouldn't you have been like, hey, just cancel it. I'll just tell you it's me. And so early the next morning, Joshua brought the tribes of Israel before the Lord. The tribe of Judah was singled out. And Judah comes, Jesus comes from the tribe of Judah. 
Thank God for grace, because that tribe was a mess. Then the clans of Judah come forward, and the clan of Zerah was singled out. Then the families of Zerah came forward, and the family of Zimri was singled out. Man, imagine, you know, you're just step forward, and you got a big group of people, you're like, oh. Step forward, and you got a smaller group of people. Step forward, and you a small group of people, and it's just your family. You're like, dude, what? What did you do? And so there, every member of Zimri's family was brought forward person by person. And Achan was singled out. Joshua says to Achan, my son, give glory to the Lord God of Israel by telling the truth. Make your confession and tell me what you've done. Don't hide it from me. And Achan replied, it is true. I've sinned against the Lord God of Israel. Among the plunder, I saw a beautiful robe from Babylon. Lust of the eyes. I saw something I wanted. 200 silver coins, a bar of gold weighing more than a pride. Oh, man, I thought about what I could do with that, the pride of life. I wanted them so much, so I took them. The lust of the flesh. The things deep inside of us that are going, I want, it looked good. I thought about what I could do. I, oh. They're hidden in the ground beneath my tent with the silver buried deeper than the rest. Isn't it crazy that the things that we take, I say adultery because we just covered it last week. We think, I wanted that. I saw that. I wanted that. But those are the things they don't bring joy. They're the things that we have to dig deep and try to hide. There's not joy in that. And so Joshua sent some men to make a search. They ran to the tent, found the stolen goods hidden there, just as Achan had said, and the silver buried beneath the tent, beneath the rest. They took the things from the tent, brought them to Joshua and all the Israelites. They laid them on the ground in the presence of the Lord. Then Joshua and all the Israelites took Achan, the silver, the robe, the bar of gold, his sons, daughters, cattle, donkey, sheep, goats, tent, and everything he had, and they brought him to the valley of Achor. Joshua said to Achan, why have you brought trouble on us? The Lord will now bring trouble on you. And all the Israelites stoned Achan and his family and burned their bodies. They piled a great heap of stones over Achan, which remains to this day, that is why the place has been called the Valley of Trouble ever since, so the Lord was no longer angry. He didn't mess around in the Old Testament. Here's what my plan is. Here's what I want you to do. If you're going to be my bride, this is the commitment you're going to, covenant you're going to enter into. You choose not to be a part of this, then you're no longer my bride. If you want to continue to be the bride, there's repentance, and then there's, I'm going to make it right. Stealing and disobedience were never something, Old or New Testament, that God played around with. He didn't play. Stealing usually comes because we want something and we feel like we deserve something. Stealing usually comes in that ma manner, and that's fine if you want something, then work and save for it. But, oh yeah, it's... It's just a rich person. They have some. They don't need this. Or here's another one. It's just the government. They have enough. Nope. God commands us. God never says, you can do not steal except for the government. That's fine. 
Yeah, but they steal from me. That's on them. You might get away with it here, but God sees everything in heaven. And every time you steal, you sacrifice your integrity, which cannot be bought for something that can, right? This type of stealing is cut and dry. Now, I I don't know anybody here, anybody watching online that thinks, you know, you would head over to Gary Crosley Ford or Heartland Chevrolet tonight and steal a truck, okay? If if you're thinking about doing that, God's speaking to you right now, (laughs) okay? I don't know anybody here. I can't think of anybody here who I would go pray with somebody and I come back up and you stole my iPad, okay? It's password protected anyway, so you better know what you're doing. But as I mentioned earlier, stealing comes in so many shapes and sizes. We're often tempted to steal at a young age, and not just candy from a grocery store, but how about answers from a score key? I remember I went to a private school, and uh, you would have to sit in the cubicles, and you put your American flag up for the monitor to come by and go, okay, and give you a green check mark to go to the scorer's table. And you'd take your pace over to the scorer's table and open it up and find the score key. And then it's amazing because one day we discovered that at the back of that score key are all of the answers. And you're standing there as this young second grader faced with this dilemma of, uh, I have this pace and I have to do all these pages, and all the answers to these pages are right there. And you couldn't take your pencil up to the, but I mean, like, you have pockets in your pants. And I saw my friends do these things, and I'd see them kind of write a couple things out, and I'm like, oh, that would be so much easier. And every time you'd have to, you'd have to fight and I, did not, and I did not go that route. But there was that temptation there of, man, that would be a lot easier than working for it. Talk about temptation. To do that or to cheat on a test is stealing answers. And I believe if Moses was expounding on these commandments in the 21st century, he would explain how this short commandment also covers not stealing candy bars from the stores, but also not stealing answers on tests. You see, the temptation to cheat, we think sometimes like, well, when you graduate kindergarten, it gets better. When you turn your tassel after graduation, it gets better. But it just changes. I'm not fighting battles at a score key and having to put an American flag up to get permission to go to the scorer's bench, okay? I'm not fighting those battles anymore. But the temptations, they change a little bit. Every year, Americans are tempted to cheat and steal with the IRS. Now I'm hitting close to home because April 16th was tax day. Maybe somebody, what, 18th, 16th, 18th, I don't know, just passed last week. And why are Americans tempted to do this? Because you will rarely get caught. One report shows tax fraud costs $100 billion. And sure, taxes might be too high. I am not going to sit here and go, Woo, let's just give God a round of applause for letting us have taxes. Like that. I'm, not, I'm not really enjoying sending taxes. 
Maybe you need the money more than the government, but I doubt that. <laughs> I'm, I guarantee you their deficit's greater than yours. But that doesn't make a wrong right. Nobody likes to pay taxes, but we all have to pay taxes. I refuse to compromise on my integrity to get a couple extra thousand dollars from the government. Our generation isn't the first to hate to pay taxes. Do you know that? Matthew 22. Now tell us, what do you think about this? Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus knew their evil motives. He said, you hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin that you use for tax. And when they handed him a Roman coin, he asked, whose picture is stamped on this? They said, Caesar's. And they said, well, give to Caesar's what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. But they were asking this because ain't nobody in human history is like, I love paying taxes. Think about this. Whether you are paid hourly or salary, your employer is paying you to work for them. Every week, or maybe every other week, or once a month, you get a direct deposit or a good old-fashioned paycheck. And maybe you're paid for 40 hours a week of work, or 50 hours, but if 10 of those 40 hours are on social media, you're stealing from, you're stealing from the company. Now, I know some of you can say, well, they can afford it, believe me. Maybe they can. Maybe you'd say it's not a big deal. But if we are people of integrity, then that's wrong. Paul says in one letter to a church, he says this, Colossians 3.23, he says, work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. So, no matter where your employer is, it's not just I'm working for them, it's I'm a reflection of Jesus Christ in society, and I always want to reflect him well. I never want to leave a job and say somebody that, that I'm really one of their only experiences with Christianity saying, oh, you're one of those Christians? I worked with a Christian once. We don't want that. Like that, God also called for employers to be just in weights and measurements, and that means all employers should pay more fair market value for a person's skill set. They should compensate that person adequately. I'm not saying that stealing is only one-sided. It's both two-sided, and we both should be aware, both sides. There's a story of a preacher who moved into a city to start pastoring a new church, and he rode the bus each day to make it from one place to another. When he sat down, he realized that the driver had given him a quarter too much to ride when he, when he put the money on the bus. And it was a tempting moment to just keep it. It's, it's just a quarter. And in, in his mind, he was like, it's a quarter. It's not a big deal. But when it was time to get off the bus, the preacher reached into his pocket, pulled out the quarter and said, hey, you gave me too much change. The bus driver smiled and said, you're the new preacher in town, aren't you? I have been looking for a church, but I didn't know where to go. I wanted to see what you would do if I gave you too much change. I'll see you Sunday. Stealing from work is as old as Judas Iscariot. Look what John says about Judas after Mary poured expensive perfume on Jesus' feet. John 12, 4 says, But Judas Iscariot, 
The disciple who would soon betray him said, that perfume was a year's worth of wages. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. And look what John says. Not that he cared for the poor. He was a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some for himself. What a great reputation. Judas gave in to lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. He reached into the cash register when no one was looking, took a couple shekels for himself. A little bonus, he thought. I deserve it. After all, I've given out a lot to follow this man. But as you read the story, I don't know if you feel like me. I'm looking at that like, you know, I understand he stole and that's bad, but I'm not really concerned about stealing from the shackles like this dude had way more serious problems than stealing a couple shackles. But guess what? It's all related. It's all related. In this case, this is the case for all of these commandments because as I keep saying, sin is a heart issue. It's a heart issue. Adultery isn't the issue. Your heart is the issue. Swearing isn't the issue. Your heart is the issue. Murder isn't the issue. Your heart is the issue. Stealing isn't the issue. Your heart is the issue. Judas had a heart issue, and the fact that he was stealing was an external manifestation of what was going on internally. Jesus knew Judas was stealing. He knew his heart wasn't right, and he reached to him over and over again. But Jesus does not force us to change. He will reach to us. He will call us to do what's right. He will convict us. And that's why a lot of people won't stay worshiping in a church unless you can find a church that doesn't preach things very hard and just is there to make you feel good. If you come to 100 services here and you never feel conviction one time, I'm not doing my job. My job is I don't come up here and go, I want to make somebody feel bad today. Hope I can make someone feel bad today. But if I'm preaching the word over and over and over again, and God is never laying any layer of conviction on your heart to cause you to say, I want more. I want to, God, I want to repent. I want to be closer to you, God. Where I am right now is not where I want to be. I want to go deeper in you, God. If you're not feeling that, then, then one of us is not right. I'm either not preaching the word or you're not open to the word. And when someone is living a lifestyle of sin, typically what will happen is conviction will cause us to change or conviction preaching will cause us to leave because you won't be able to just sit and hear this preaching over and over again and not have to make a decision one way or another. Either this makes sense and I want to repent and I want to live for you, God, or I'm out. And so that's why my goal, I want to see the church grow, but my goal is not to fill every empty seat. It's to make disciples. And so Jesus doesn't force us to get our heart right. He just convicts us and calls us to a response. Judas never did. And he went down in history as not only the man who betrayed Jesus, but the man who stole from Jesus. What a great reputation. What do you want to be known as? That's the guy he, yeah, there's Judas, the guy who betrayed him and stole from him. And I'm bringing this to a close pretty shortly here. If you can steal from Jesus, hear me. If you can steal from Jesus, it's not too far-fetched to think that you can soon betray him. 
if your conscience will allow you to steal from him, it's not too far-fetched to think you could one day betray him. <laughs> How? How am I going to steal from Jesus? Well, you probably know where this is going. The Bible clearly addresses this. Malachi 3, 9, 3, 8. Will a man rob God? God speaks through his prophet and says, yeah, you've robbed me. But you say, well, how, how in the world do we rob you? And God says, in tithes and offerings. So you're cursed with a curse. You've robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse. That there may be meat in my storehouse and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, there shall not be enough room to receive it. Just leave that up there, please. Don't, doesn't this sound familiar? God says, I'm going to give you the land. You're on your way to the promise. I'm going to provide. You have no business beating Jericho. But I don't care about the odds if you will just align with me and give me what's mine. I'll take care of everything. But humanity says, yes, but I have to release something in my hands that I really want to keep for myself. And Achan and his family became cursed because they would not release something that God said, that's mine. Interesting. And you go further and you look at Judas Judas began to take money. A little bit, I've been working hard. They won't know the difference. God says, that's my treasury. You're stealing from what I said is mine. You're robbing me. Judas betrays Jesus, and he's cursed. He robbed from God. How are these things different than taking money that God says is his from his treasury and somehow thinking it's 2022, it's different times, we'll escape. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna take that chance. Because all through scripture, all through scripture, God makes it clear. If I set it aside as mine and you think you can take it as yours, there were drastic consequences. But yet he says, he promises us, just like he did for them. Israel, I'm taking the promise. No one will stand in your way. Here he says, listen, I'm going to pour out the windows of heaven. But you better trust me with what I'm saying is mine. And what he says is his is a tithe, which is not just a tip. And today we're going to take an offering. Oh, yeah, here's five bucks. That's not a tithe. A tithe in the Old Testament was called the first fruits. It was the first fruits of your increase. This means that if you get $1,000, a tithe is not just $100, 10%. A tithe is the first $100. 
Because there's a lot of good Christian people in our world who say, I'm not trying to rob God. I just forgot to pay the tithe. But I remembered to pay the car payment and the house payment and the electric and all these. I just forgot the tithe. I didn't do it on purpose. Well, guess what? I didn't steal gas on purpose either. But it was still stealing. And so for me, if God is saying, you've robbed me, you've taken something that's mine, and so now I have to curse you and your family, I'm going, you know what? I might not be all that organized, but I'm going to make sure that every paycheck that comes in, that that first 10% immediately goes to God because I want to be blessed. I want to be blessed, and I really don't want to be cursed. And so churches get a bad rap. They just want my money. I, I, I really don't. I really just want you to be blessed. Because I know that when you give, I trust, I preach this just like I'll preach Acts 2.38, creation, all these things, because it's all biblical. And I know that if someone will dare, that's why he says, prove me. If someone will dare to live by this, I guarantee you, you will be blessed. Why? Because I stand on the promises of God. I've said this in this pulpit before, and I'll say it again. It sounds crazy tithe for the next six months of your life. The first 10%, not just occasionally throwing money and then trying to catch up and do this. No, tithe the first 10% of your income. The fruit, first fruit of your increase for the next six months. And if you have taken steps back, if you have done that faithfully and you say, I'm worse off than I was when I started, I will give you a refund of every single dollar that you've tied to this church for the last six months. Because I guarantee you, it will not happen. You will be going, oh my goodness, this was hard. And it's one of the hardest things you will ever do. Because mathematically, you're looking at paper. Mathematically, you're like aching, looking at the thing going, but how are we going to burn all this good gold and silver? And ah, it doesn't make any sense. And mathematically, you're going, I uh, did the numbers and I ain't going to have enough for my bills if I give this first 10%. So I'll pay this month. I'll try and catch up next month. And so here's what I'm saying. God, this month, I'm going to be my own provider and I'll see if I'll let you be my, my provider next month. Nah, I would rather let him be my provider and have the 90% be blessed rather than 100% be cursed and I'll just go that direction. And this is not, I can, I can promise you probably, you probably think I'm this dialed in and I'm not. Your first quarter donation statements just went out tonight. I promise you, it has nothing to do. We're going through the Ten Commandments, okay? I did not change the Ten Commandments. But I do find it interesting, the way God worked this out. If you look at your quarterly statement, 
And your tithe is not 10% of your income. You're robbing God. That sounds so harsh. But I'm just telling you what scripture says. It's one of those times, right? Sometimes you might be sitting there and you're watching online and you feel this tense moment like, oh, if I, I would, I'm going to knock him out. Like you might feel frustrated toward me that I just said that. But like all preaching, you stick around long enough ignoring this, you're, gonna, you're probably going to go to a church that doesn't preach it. Or you're going to go, that's biblical. I want to be blessed. God, I'm going to do this. You start to align your life. And I'm talking to every age. If I had little kids in here, if I had youth, I would tell them the same thing. I started bussing tables. I've done a lot wrong and a couple things right, but this is one thing I did right. My parents invested in still this in me. And I had a little notebook. And I'd bring home my busser tips. And I'd count them all out. And I knew that I would wait, work like four times a week. And so I'd write down some nights, I'd make 27 bucks. And other nights I'd make 43, 53. And I'd write it down. And I wrote it for Monday night, and Tuesday night, and Thursday night, and Friday night. And then I'd figure out what 10% is. You know, I always round, my dad taught me, I always round up. I made 23.30. I'm not giving God $2.30. Like, I'm giving him 30 bucks. I'd round up, and I'd, every Sunday, I'd come in with my cash in my pocket. Nobody carries cash really anymore, but back then I did. And I'd grab my tithe envelope, and I'd write out my tithes. I'd put it in there. And I made sure I never missed. And I committed as a young man. I started busing tables at 14 years old. Here I am, 41 years old, and there's never been a moment in my life and in our lives. When I lost my job, we tithed. When, when we moved here, we tithed on the benefits they gave because we said that's part of our increase, not just our salary. I'm not saying this to say, yes. I'm saying this to say, I, I wholeheartedly, and that's why, too, I hear pastors sometimes say, I'm just uncomfortable talking about money. And I'm like, Why? It's all in the scripture. And if you want people in your church to be blessed, you better be talking about money. Like, I have no problem with this. And, and for me, anybody that says, well, I just don't want to just feel free, make an appointment. I'll talk to you about my donation statement because I want you to know I wholeheartedly live this and buy this. And I can look back over my life and I see the unbelievable incredible I mean no words blessings of God in my life and I wholeheartedly attribute that to hey this is one area I have always been faithful even when times were eh, losing our job going what are we going to do we tithe and the next week somebody bring us a thousand dollars oh God laid this on my heart to bring. and you just sit there going So yeah, I want to see you live a blessed life. Everything we have belongs to God. We just have it on loan from Him. Tithing is a weekly reminder 
every single paycheck, every blessing, every benefit, every bonus, it comes from God. God gave us tithing to remind us constantly to put him first. I gladly give. I do not begrudge. God loves a cheerful giver. I gladly give that 10%. The 10%, it's not even like he's taking this out of my budget. It's not even in my budget. Like, it's, it, it never belonged to me in the first place. Tithing is not a tip. Tithing is a heartfelt expression of our dependence on him and our thankfulness to him. Tithing is a built-in reminder of our unlimited debt of gratitude that we have toward him. And when we refuse to return the tithe to God, please hear me, you're not robbing me. You're not robbing the church. You're robbing God. When we refuse to return that tithe, that's what's happening. Thou shalt not steal, not from your neighbor, not from the government, not from your friend, not from your enemy, and certainly not from God. And so I just invite you to stand to your feet tonight. And I think this is definitely a message that we can find a place to pray because I think there's a wealth of people here and watching online too that, that some are going, wow, God, thank you for your blessing. I'm going to continue to do this. Others are going, I've been kind of sporadic and I didn't think it was a really big deal, but I got to get this dialed in. Others of you, you've maybe never tied. And already you're kind of doing the math in your head and it's freaking you out. Read the Bible. When God did some of the most miraculous things, it was after he called his people to respond to things that initially freaked them out. That's faith. And so I invite everybody to find a place and just ask God so is this your will and is this something you want me to start because I guarantee you you're going to feel him because he just spoke clearly in his word and so I invite you to come and pray Jesus we love you God I feel your power and your presence here tonight because this is a, an incredibly powerful principle but one that takes an amazing amount of faith to step out and actually do. I pray give people here, give people watching online the faith to step out and to respond tonight. God, I pray. I'm not going to ask that you speak to us because you already have. Oh, Jesus. Lord, we need your direction. We need you, God, as we step out in faith challenged us to prove you, Lord. I know you're going to do that.